uh, for you tonight that uh, goes along with the music that goes along with what we've been studying. And so Bill Lawson is going to come up and he's going to share and this is going to knock your socks off. So hold on to the top of your socks. Yes, uh, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians kind of helps if you have an old King James Version. Uh, if not, that's fine. It will still be more or less the same.
Thank you so much for this beautiful word that we're going to study. Lord, we just pray that uh, we can gain faith by hearing your word, by studying it. We pray that, Lord God, you will uh, help us to live your word as well as hear it, as well as speak it, Lord. Put it in our hearts, Lord, and sink it in deep and, and help us to replace anything that's not supposed to be in our hearts with love with charity, which, which is um, the greatest gift of all. We'll give you the praise. We'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, it's going to be a little bit sort of special tonight, I think. Um, technically, we're in chapter 13. Okay, but what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read chapter 13 to you because I want to go back into chapter 12 because chapter 12 and chapter 14 really fit together like a glove and we're going to talk about the spiritual gifts especially the gift of prophecy tongues and interpretation uh, and that should hopefully that will be interesting to all of you so let me read first uh, corinthians 13 to you and i'm going to start in verse one it says if i speak in the tongues of men and angels and i think that's interesting men and angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Um, if I have the gift of prophecy, which is a foretelling, okay, a foretelling of God's word. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, 
but have not love, I am nothing. Wow, I mean, I would like to have all of the previous plus love. That'd be great. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. So he's telling us exactly where love is in the priority of things, isn't he? And, and how important it is. Now he's going to explain what love is and what love isn't. Love. It says burn, and ours says mighty, and I says hardship. Your, your NIV says uh, hardship. Okay. Yeah, this one says, and surrendered my body to the flames. Um, the NIV changed somewhere along the way. There's, a, there's really kind of two versions of the NIV. And um, I, must have, I guess I must have the older version. I'm just not sure. Yeah, but it works. Um, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. And it is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Flat out love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Now I'm assuming in, in this uh, statement there that he's talking about the heavenly state, okay? Because where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Now that could have had its fulfillment in time. However, where there is knowledge, it will pass away. So uh, because of the context there, I have to assume that we're talking about the heavenly state here because, you know, when we get to heaven, there's going to be no need of prophecy or of tongues or of knowledge because we're going to know as we're known, right? So that's, that's how I would take this. He says in verse 11, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. I wish more people would do that, to be honest with you. Uh... It says now in verse 12, we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. I've always used the, the uh, example, if you look through a, a bottle or, or, or a glass, and you can make out figures, you can make out certain things, but the, the vision is not completely clear in that when we get to heaven, vision is going to be completely clear. And it's going to be awesome. I mean, there's going to be no tears, no crying, no death, no any of that stuff. And uh, so it'll be, it'll be a wonderful time. Now, it says, 
I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. Faith is the foundation for the other two, all right? That's what the Bible says. So, you, you know, you have to have faith in order to have hope and love. The Bible even says in Hebrews 11 that without faith, it is impossible to please God because if, if love depends on having faith and if hope depends on having faith, then you have to have faith in order to be a Christian. He says, but the greatest of these is love. So let's leave that for just a minute because this is like the glue that holds chapter 12 and chapter 14 together. Let's look at chapter 12 real quick, okay? We did study it some last week, but I'd like to just go over it again. In verse 1 it says, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers. So he's talking to Christian people here. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, the more we learn about the Corinthian church, the more we see the trouble in the Corinthian church. Uh, they had trouble with um, coming together in fellowship and having their uh, communion. All right, we read that in chapter, I believe it was chapter 7. And uh, some of the people were just getting there and they were eating before anybody else was eating. They were, they were drinking to the point of where they probably shouldn't be drinking anymore. And uh, it, was, it was kind of a mess. Then we see, you know, that in chapter 7, we see that there was questions about marriage, about marriage between believers, marriage between a believer and an unbeliever, etc. And uh, so that was obviously something that was bothering or that was causing problems in this church. We're going to see in verse four, or chapter 14 especially, we're going to see problems with the gift of tongues. We're going to see problems with uh, women, all right? And we're going to straighten all that mess out because it has honestly been, it has honestly been misinterpreted and unjustly uh, used in many ways. So let's go to chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. So he wants us to know what's going on. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit so in all probability as pagans you know who knows what all kinds of things were going on in the surrounding city etc there there may very well have been a uh, false a prophetical uh, false prophets, we know that there were false prophets, false gifts of tongues, uh, all kinds of different things that were causing, and certainly they were idol worshippers. So, I think that part of the problem too is that when they became Christians, there was still some of these problems left over in the church at Corinth. And that's part of what Paul's trying to correct 
He says in verse 4, there are different kind of, uh, kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now we also know, uh, I believe it's in Ephesians, but I might be wrong, that grace, all right, is given as well as uh, gifts are given to each person in a measure that God decides how to give it to them. Some people, and what I find is that, you know, a person that may be a good teacher may not be as compassionate as someone who has the gift of compassion. Or, I'm just using that as an example, uh, in my case, I would say I'm always working on um, uh, patience. That's, that's one thing that just seems to elude me. <laughs> okay, I'm sure it doesn't with any of you, but okay. Now, he says this, and this is so, so cool. He says in verse 7, Now, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. All right, you got that? That is one of the things that is forgotten to be mentioned in churches today because, you know, there's a lot of uh, people in, Christian people, that believe that their gifts are either, they, they have a gift that makes them proud, or they have a gift that, where they think that they're better than others, or they have a gift that think it's just for themselves. And right here it says very plainly, and you, there's no way to misinterpret this, he says, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So now he's going to tell us what the manifestation of the Spirit is. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he, the spirit, determines. Remember something about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit never glorifies itself, ever. It's always pointing to Jesus Christ. It's always pointing to God through Jesus Christ, okay? The Holy Spirit does not uh, glorify or edify itself in any way. It's got a job, and its job is to glorify God, all right? Now, so then in verse 12, it says the body is a unit. That's where we get the word unity though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So he's going to use the our physical body and the attributes of our physical body, two eyes, a nose with two holes, a mouth, an ear, two ears, you know, etc., etc., two arms, two legs, etc. And the Spirit's going to to use that as, as an example of what the body of Christ is like. He says this. He says, So it is with Christ. 
For we were all baptized by one Spirit. Did you get that? It doesn't say there were several that were baptized by one Spirit. It says, for we were all baptized by one Spirit. And this is, this is a, a fallacy, a false doctrine that uh, unfortunately many people um, espouse, and that's this. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, all right? Remember what baptism stands for. It stands for identification with. When in 1 Corinthians chapter... Let's see. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says this. Alright. It says this in verse... Well, I'll start in verse 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact. So there's, there's that same thing he says in verse... Uh, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Um, he says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they were they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all drank, they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Isn't that awesome? Old Testament, cloud, fire, etc. And who was the rock? The rock was Christ, it says. And that's when, when Jesus said to Peter, and he, he asked Peter and his disciples in, uh, I think it was in Matthew <coughs> chapter 16, I think. You don't have to turn there. But he said, who do people say I am? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, etc. He said, well, then who do you say I am? Well, then Peter stood up and said, well, you're the Christ. You're the anointed one. You're the Son of God. And Jesus said that flesh and blood did not reveal that to him, but the Spirit revealed that to him. And he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Well, the Catholic faith says that Petros, which is the name that's, in, that's Peter, okay, in, in, in English, it means a small stone or a small rock. But he says, and that's not what he was saying, he says, upon this rock, Petra, that's the Greek. Well, if you've ever seen the city of Petra, it's carved right into a big mountainside. And that's what he's saying, is he's saying, upon this rock, upon the rock of Jesus Christ, upon the rock of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I am going to build my church. He doesn't build his church on any human being. Why? Yeah, it, it failed. And he says, heaven and earth, or he says, uh, hell's gates will come against my church. He doesn't say they may come against my church. He says they will come against my church. And the church will be able to stand up under that attack. So back into 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says this, so he says in verse 13, for we were all baptized, we're all identified with each other and with the Spirit by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given one Spirit to drink. Now, let me, let me finish my, my 
thoughts on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, okay? The baptism of the Holy Spirit, you can't be a Christian unless you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you're not identified with the Holy Spirit, you can't be a Christian. Now, there are people that will say, well, I got the, this is after they were saved, I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, perhaps they spoke in tongues, perhaps they had some other uh, feeling or experience or revelation or whatever. I wouldn't call that the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That might be a blessing of the Holy Spirit, okay? That's very possible. And God does bless us all the time with the Holy Spirit. He blesses us with gifts of knowledge. He blesses us with discernment, doesn't He? He blesses us with these things, especially when we need it. So, just to clarify that, I believe it's correct to say what, the Bible, what our, our Bible just said it says we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. We were all identified with the one body. That body is Jesus Christ. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we were all given one spirit to drink. Now, verse 14. The, yeah. But they're not talking necessarily about physical baptism. That baptism into one spirit is accepting Jesus. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Not necessarily. There's nothing to do with water baptism okay. at all. Okay. Water ba There's seven baptisms in the Bible. And one of these days I'll go over them with you, but there's, we just read about the baptism of Moses. We know about the baptism of water. We know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And there's four other baptisms. So I, I guess I better bring that out one of these days. It says this in verse 14. Now the body... Now, this is speaking of the human body now, okay? Is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, Be, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God, this is beautiful, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. Now, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there, were, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Now he is also, if you think about this, you know, he's, he's, he's referring to the body of Christ but he's using the example of a human body
to get us to be thinking about parts. He goes on to say, he says, verse 26, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And you know, I love to use the example of the big toe. Now the big toe is one of the more unpresentable parts of the body. There's not very many people with gorgeous big toes, okay? So, but I will tell you this, drop something heavy on it, and your whole body will be crying out because of that one part of the body is hurt. And that's what he's saying here. He goes on in verse 27, now he's going to relate this to the body of Christ. He says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, okay, now the church is what? It's not a building. It's the people, okay? So it says, and in the church, or in the people, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those in speaking different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? No, no, no. But eagerly desire the greater gifts. What are the greater gifts? Well, he listed them in order. He said, first of all, apostles, okay? That was the greatest gift that God could give a person is the gift of apostleship. Now, my opinion is this, and I believe it's a correct one, is that we do not have the gift of apostleship happening today as it was in the days of the apostles, okay? The apostles had a special gift. They, the apostles actually had many gifts. The gift of apostleship contained many gifts. And apostles were able to heal. Apostles were able to uh, teach. Apostles were able to uh, do miracles. And so that was the greatest gift. It says here, um, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. And we'll go over this in just a minute. Now, here he says in the last part of verse 31, I love this, he says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. Now, if we skipped chapter 13 entirely and we went to chapter 14 in verse 1 after, after seeing, and now I will show you the most excellent way, here's what chapter 14 verse 1 says, follow the way of love. Okay, that's a natural segue from the last verse in chapter 12. Now follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. So he's, he's just continuing on what chapter 12 said. He says, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him he utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. 
So let's stop there for just a minute. I believe that I believe that God can use any spiritual gift at any time that the Holy Spirit deems it should be used. Okay? Now, there are, pe there are people who say that the gift of prophecy is over, the gift of tongues is over, and I was one of those that believed that, but I'm, I'm changing my attitude a little bit, and I'll tell you why. If I were to do, go to a, a foreign country, like Africa or somewhere, all right, and I was to witness to people, and there was no interpreter to interpret English to their African language, if God wanted to gift me, gift me the language of the people that I was trying to witness to, He could do that. Okay, He could definitely do that. And if there was a miracle needed, for some reason or another, I believe that God could do that. Now, do I believe that people have the gifts of healing today? You know, that's that's tough to know. I mean, I, I really don't buy into this, the television preachers that, you know, people come forward and they, they push them over and they do all this stuff. And I have a hard time with that, all right? But I believe that God can give a gift, it might only be temporary, of healing to someone who will use it for God's glory, okay? And use it for the body or use it for a witness. Now, prophecy. Certainly in the Old Testament, when you look at prophecy, it almost always had to do with some kind of judgment, all right? Now, there was prophecy about the first coming of Christ. There was prophecy about the second coming of Christ. And uh, the, the Old Testament people did not really understand that, all right? They, did not, they thought that there was going to be two messiahs because one would suffer and the other one would be a conqueror, okay? They didn't realize that it would be one and the same messiah. Now, so I believe that prophecy, the gift of prophecy or prophets were given especially to formulate the Word of God, all right? We have the Word of God. Jesus Christ was a prophet, all right? John the Baptist was a prophet. They were Old Testament prophets, even though the words of Jesus are written in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus lived during Old Testament times. We don't see New Testament times or, or the church come in until we see Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit is given to the believers there at Pentecost, all right? That's when the church was form the body of Christ. Now, apostleship, I really believe that the gift of apostleship was a gift given for that time, and there may have been more than 12 apostles. Barnabas could have been an apostle, okay? Uh, we just don't know. The Bible just doesn't tell us one way or the other about that. But um, it's very probable that he was. But I think that the gift of apostleship was given for that time and the gift that was that gift is no longer in operation like it was back then. Now we do have in some church denominations, we do have men that are called apostles. Okay, I 
I feel uncomfortable with that, to be honest with you. Um, I just do. And I feel uncomfortable with somebody being called a prophet. Now, when I think of prophecy today, prophecy is a foretelling of the Word of God, isn't it? Okay? Now, I believe that a person could have a gift that is combined with discernment, maybe even knowledge, where they, they, and wisdom, where they can tell people certain things that God wants them to know. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, the gift of tongues. Okay. We'll talk about that because this whole chapter 14 is basically a, devoted to three gifts. The gift of tongues, interpretation of prophecy. All right. It's also devoted at the end to women. All right. Because they were causing trouble in the church of Corinth. So I'm glad we don't have any of them women here, huh? Okay. So let's just, let's just keep going and let's, We'll, 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 we'll segue back. Here's what it says. And I want to start in verse 1 again, chapter 14. Follow the way of love. So remember this. All gifts, all um, spiritual fruits are all designed to be loving gifts. Okay? They're designed to be a gift of love or a fruit of love, and all of them. That's the ultimate end goal is to love. What, is, what does Christ say? He says, uh, he says, all of the law and prophets can be summed up in two statements. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, physical strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do these two things, you have fulfilled the whole law, all 613 commandments. Okay? All right, so, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy or the foretelling of God's word. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. And he will, he will go on to further explain this. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesy, prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? That's a question. Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? So if someone just came up and they played the guitar, like if Bill came up and played the guitar, and all he did was play one note, there would be no distinction. 
There would be no tune. There, I mean, it wouldn't even be interesting. That's what I would do if I can't got to play the guitar. Right? So thank goodness I'm, I'm not there. So he goes on, and this, you know, I don't think we, we really studied this enough. He says again, verse 8, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you were saying? Well, they won't unless there's an interpreter. I'm in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, okay? You bet. I'm in verse, I'll be in verse 10. He says, you will just be speaking into the air. Verse 10, undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. I think it's interesting that he brings languages into this. And we will, we will touch on this in just a few, because we've got lots of time. Good. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you, since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can anyone, or how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you are saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. So, are you getting this so far? Okay. If you speak in tongues, and we're going to go into the book of Acts in just a minute. If you speak in tongues, you are speaking to God, not to men. Alright? And unless there's an interpretation of the tongue, then you're still only speaking to God and you're not edifying men because men will not understand what you're saying. Alright, so we'll expound on that in just a minute. Alright, so where am I? 18. 18. Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Wow. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, and this is a quote from Isaiah chapter 28, verses 11 to 12. Through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Verse 22, tongues then are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, 
not for unbelievers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say you are out of your mind? Yeah, they will. That's a rhetorical question. What happened in Acts chapter 2? It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. These men must be drunk. Same, same, same uh, thing here. He says, verse 24, But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all, and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. Why? Because prophecy is the word of God. Okay, it's understandable. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Now, um, hmm, let's continue on uh, because this has to do with orderly worship, which in some churches we do not see. Verse 26, what then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, now this is not necessarily for a Sunday search church service, but this is more for a, a, a meeting where you get together and you, you, you talk about the Lord, you, um, you share things, maybe a song, uh, a hymn, etc. He says this, when you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself in God. Verse 29, two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. In other words, are they speaking the word of the Lord? And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop, for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. This is an interesting uh, uh, verse here in verse 32. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. So when we go to a church, for example, and you know, you've got people that are speaking in tongues and there's no interpretation that is against what we just read. Okay, yes? Uh, in verse 22, it says that Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I mean, I know we went on to done that, but I don't know, that just kind of seems out of place to me, or it always has. Yeah, and um, so we'll address that. Turn to Acts chapter 2, okay? Turn to Acts chapter 2, because this is just very cool. So, 
Jesus is taken up to heaven in chapter 1. Uh, Judas is dead. Judas Iscariot. The apostles gamble and draw lots and they decide that Matthias should replace Judas. Matthias was undoubtedly a believer, uh, but unfortunately we really don't hear anything about Matthias from this point on. I really personally believe that the Apostle Paul probably should have been that 12th Apostle. But one thing we do know is that Paul was an Apostle, okay, for sure. He says that about himself. That's how he introduces himself in many of the scriptures. So go to chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, Penta, what is, what is Penta? 50, huh? Yeah. So 50 days has passed here. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting, speaking of the believers. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, okay, the same sound we just read, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in what? His own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, that's Africa, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Now, so the first clue we get about tongues is that it was a language. And it was a language that was given to these believers to speak to the people of, uh, that were in the town for the celebration of the Feast of Pentecost. And, I mean, we're talking hundreds of thousands of people would come to Jerusalem to celebrate these feasts. Well, so Peter is going to interpret, okay, if you will, it says in verse 14, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what is spoken by the prophet Job. In the last 
days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now he goes on to explain what um, the apostles were telling the people. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man, speaking of Jesus, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So, I mean, so Peter is witnessing to these Jews, some of which were responsible for a part in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They were the ones that were crying out before Pontius Pilate, crucify him, crucify him. Give us Barnabas. The high priest had influenced these people to do that. Now, so he goes on, he goes on to say, uh, let's, uh, let's, let's read, uh, this is so good, how much time have I left? We've got a little bit of time left. David said about him, verse 25, this is a quote from Psalm 16, 8. He's, David's referring to himself, but, but here to the Christ. I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken, therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, David, seeing what was ahead, he prophesied. It says he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. What a witness this is. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured that this of this, 
God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all those who are far off and for all whom the, the Lord our God will call. Now go with me to chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Let's see if we can find it. Acts chapter 10. Yeah. Okay. So Acts chapter 10 and gosh, I mean, we, we see... Peter at Cornelius' house, and in verse 39, verse 39, he says, We are witnesses of everything Jesus did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead and on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him received forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gifts, the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Now, go with me to Acts chapter 19. Let's, uh, there's another thing here about tongues. Let's see if we can find it. Oh, okay, better get in the right chapter. Okay, so Acts chapter 19, let's start verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, What baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. So there's another baptism. There's the fourth baptism. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There was about 12 men in all. And it goes on to say, I won't get into it, but I mean, look at verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, 
and the evil spirits left them. I, I, I was turned to a Christian station a couple times today on television. And I'll tell you something. I was just bummed because they were selling handkerchiefs. Yeah, if you pay, I mean, you know, no, I mean, handkerchiefs that were supposed to heal you or do something with you. And, Oh, yeah, a free gift if you give $50 or whatever. You know, and, you know, here we just read how Paul, God did that through Paul. There was no charge on that. And it just goes to show you the realness and genuineness of God's working as opposed to the ones today that may or may not be working through God. Well, go back to chapter... Uh, Corinthians chapter 14 and let's um, we have 10 minutes left let's take a look and let's let's let me give you some of my thoughts about this okay so when we look at um, let's see um, was it in I can't remember if it was chapter 12 or chapter 14, but it talked about tongues as a language. Okay, and I don't remember where that was, but that's okay. Um, so, the gift of tongues. I believe that the gift of tongues was, first of all, given to the apostles and believers so that they could testify about Jesus Christ to those that were gathered in Jerusalem at Pentecost. Now what we don't know is we don't know, I mean there was maybe as many as 40 or 50 different languages at Pentecost in Jerusalem. So what we don't know is did the apostle speak in his native language, which probably would have been either Greek or Hebrew, and they heard it in their own language, okay, that's possible. Or was that particular nationality of language given to the apostle so that they were speaking? I have a tendency to maybe believe that maybe, and I could be wrong, but maybe they heard it in their own language because if you think about it, how could 12 apostles witness to 40, in 40 different languages, you know, at once? I mean, that would really be impossible, I think. So I think that they probably heard it in their own language, and that's what they said in Acts chapter 2. We hear them speaking in our own language. Okay? Then, so that was the gift of tongues at that point. Now, is there a gift of tongues that's active today? That's the question. Um, if we read in chapter 14 uh, of, and chapter 12, we see that tongues is a gift of speaking to God. It's not a gift of speaking to men unless there's an interpreter. Alright? So, I'm not going to say that there is no such thing as the gift of tongues today, but I will say this as Paul said. I would rather pray in five intelligible words 
than 5,000 unintelligible words because I have enough trouble praying in English, let alone something else. That's just me, okay? One thing that we can take from these scriptures is this, is there has to be order in the church, okay? That's an absolute must. And we see in many Pentecostal churches today, disorder. And disorder brings confusion, and confusion is not of the Lord, it is of the devil. So, you know, can God give someone a gift to edify the church or to witness to another person that's not a believer? I would say yes. I'd say yes, he absolutely can. And you know, we hear it. We don't hear of it enough, but we hear of missionaries in Africa that talk about miracles of healing and miracles of this and stuff that would just blow our minds. Maybe it's because we just simply are so um, comfortable in our spirituality. We're apathetic to a certain degree and we just we're just not spiritual enough to see God working in us like that. I don't know. But Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move and it'll move. Now, I like to think of that mountain that he's speaking of, not of a physical mountain, but of a mountain, one of the mountains that we have to cross in our lives. You know, a mountain of bad health or a financial mountain or a relational mountain with uh, husbands or wives or children or bosses or employees or, or anything like that. You know, we all face mountains all the time and some of them are pretty, pretty tall. And God says, if you have faith, you can tell this mountain to be moved. In uh, Corinthians... In Corinthians, it says this, and let me see if I can find it real quick, because I'd like to read it to you. Yeah, Corinthians chapter 10, 1 Corinthians 10, he says this. He says in verse 13, no temptation, this could be translated testing, okay? It's the same word in the Greek. It depends on the context. And it says no temptation or testing has seized you except what is common to man. So what you're going through, somebody else has been through, okay? And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted or tested beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted or tested, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And if you relate this to Ephesians chapter 6, Chapter 6, verse 10, it tells us to stand. Stand, okay, and fight the good fight. Well, so does that help anybody about spiritual gifts, etc.? Um, you know, so here uh, is, is chapter 14, verse 22, your, your question. Tongue thens are a, tongues then are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. Okay. First of all, tongues without interpretation is gibberish. Is gibberish. Yeah, you know, nobody understands that, including yourself. 
It says, the spirit of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. In other words, your spirit is under your control. Okay? The words that come out of your mouth are under your control. That's what self-control is in the Bible. Now it says this, as in all congregation, oh, it says, um, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Now, evidently in the Corinthian church, there was a lot of disorder. Now, it says, as in all the congregations of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home. For it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. Now let's finish this chapter and we'll go back to that real quick. Did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anybody thinks he is a prophet or spiritually gifted, let him acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Now let's go back to the women real quick. So, you remember in chapter, oh, I don't remember what chapter it is, it says that women should have a covering on their head, okay? And, you know, I believe that some of this is probably a little more um, uh, cultural. cultural, yeah, cultural to Paul's day in the church there. You know, women are allowed to speak in church, obviously. Yes, Bill? I'm not entirely certain, and this is kind of from my teaching, that that isn't speaking about individual women in that church, because he does say, let your women keep silence in the church. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and I think that that's exactly right. I think that the, there was a certain group of women in that church that had, you know, they were liberated, if you will, okay? My Bible says that, that there was a group of women who had ecstatic utterances Ecstat <laughs> that were uh, disrupting the service. That were disrupting the service, yeah. And, and, and you know what? If men would have been guilty of that, he would have said the same thing about men. Okay, it was just in this case it happened to be the women that were guilty of it. So I, I do think that that was more of a cultural thing, and um, you know, the Bible says in Ephesians, it says to submit to one another. Okay, that's what we're to do. Is we're to submit to one another. You know, we're not to lord it over it. And I feel bad for the women. And I've met a few of them that go to these churches that say, you know, women should wear a hair covering, they shouldn't wear any pants, they should wear a dress, and they had better cover their knees, and they better keep their mouth shut in church, and blah, blah, blah. What woman would want to go to a church like that? You know what I mean? I wouldn't if I was a woman. So, you know. Uh, we're all free. You know, the Bible says there's neither slave nor free. There's neither uh, uh, male or female, etc. We are all part of one body. And we're all to edify each other, which results in glorifying God. You know, he also has that in the same thing of orderly worship. So clearly they were not. They were disordering. Ab absolutely. You know, yeah. I think that was his... Yeah, you know, so what we see in the Church of Corinth, and I'll stop with this, is we see when they came together, they were drinking and eating. Some were being selfish and not saving food for the poor. You know. The last guy in line. Yeah, usually I'm the last, one of the last guys in line at the dinner. And I'll tell you, I have seen this, okay? I'm just, I, fortunately, not as much lately. But like when we have deviled eggs. And I'm at the end of the line, and I see somebody with two or three eggs on their plate, and then when I get up there, there's no eggs. And I just want to, I just take that egg and just smash it in the face of my But that wouldn't be nice either, so. Yeah. Yeah, I gotta say my prayers there. Alright, guys, well, if, uh, let me see. So, um, let me think about this. Today is the fifth, isn't it? Okay, so next Wednesday is the 12th, and I have surgery on my back to get rid of that melanoma. Um, you know, I don't, it's at 9 in the morning. I, You'll be fine. Thanks. I've been through it. Yeah, I probably will be fine. And if not, if not, we'll. Uh, we'll yeah, we'll show a video, so bring one, okay? What's that? Oh, we'll have a prayer meeting, yeah. So, uh, I don't know how big this, uh, you know, I don't know how big it is they're going to take out, but they said that they take five centimeters, which I have no idea how much that is in inches. Oh, that can't be that much. That better not. No way, Jose. Two centimeters or three quarters of an inch? Yeah. 
Okay, I might have that wrong then. So, so that's how much area Yeah, what they do is they, they draw a circle around the spot like a football. Like a, they, they shape it like a football so that they can sew it up easier because it's hard to sew up a circle. So anyway, if I'm not on my game next week, you'll know. I'll be in La La Land because the day after that, I have the knee surgery. And tomorrow I was supposed to have eyelid surgery, but I canceled it. There's just too many surgeries in one. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Huh? Yeah, after midnight. Knee replacement. They're gonna put. They're gonna put a whole whole new middle knee. Yes. So one inch is two and a half centimeters. One inch is two and a half centimeters. Okay. Two inches. Okay. Well, I guess we'll find out. Well, two inches is like your thumb. One inch is like yeah. Point seven million. Okay. I have surgery tomorrow. Tomorrow. Oh. All right. Well, let's pray then. Okay. So, Father in heaven, we come before you and we hold up Sandy, who has having surgery on her foot tomorrow, that you'd bless the doctors and the nurses, and that you give them wisdom and guide their hands as they do the surgery, and that you will uh, have Sandra have a, a very quick recovery, and uh, that the pain will be gone, that she suffers in that foot. And Lord, we just want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you, Lord God, that we are not under the law. We're under the law of love and the law of grace, Lord God, which tells us not to harm our neighbor. Our neighbor. And Father, we thank you for that. We pray that you'll bless this Sunday service. Lord, we ask that you'll bring many people to hear your word and that you'll cause our church to grow in uh, spirit and in numbers and in every way, Lord, that we might glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay. What's that? Yes.